crown off my head and lay it at his feet and worship him because he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. You can be what he says you can be. It's all in choices. We are so glad you chose this morning to come to Harvest and be a part of what God is saying, what God is doing. We think this is like a fresh market. We feel like God's got some fresh stuff for you. And so much, again, as Pastor Rhonda reiterated, so much in, in love with worship and in love with people that love to lead, not just lead, but to worship. And it was a joy this morning to see our team, not just leading us in worship, but taking an active part. And uh, it's an honor to have Pastor Jeff back on the platform, back on the guitar, back on the... Uh, those of you that do not know him, he is not a mild-mannered reporter, but he can bend the strings of a guitar as well as ZZ Top. He's, he knows how to rock. He knows how to be calm this morning. They were calm. We're going to get him when he can rock a little bit. Julie, what an honor to have your, your kids with us today. Thank you so much for coming and being a part. We pray that the drive will be worth it. I, I preached the revival several times, um, Mount Olive Church of God out in the country, and I came up with the uh, cloak hymn that says uh, that the church where the, the distance is worth the difference. The distance is worth the difference. So those of you that had to pack a lunch to come to be with us this morning, Brother Daniel drives one hour every Sunday one way to be here. And he's usually here by 8.30. How cool is that? I don't want that to, uh, I don't want that to um, hurt me who came in five minutes late. I only live seven minutes away. But uh, thank you for the faithfulness of the team. We're going to have a, kind of a good time this morning. God has given me a word, I believe, for this house, for this season. If you brought your Bible today, you're going to need it. We're going to actually take some time to look through some of the things that God wants to say and God wants to do. Uh, we will begin recording now. If you go to Luke, the 17th chapter, and I've asked the um, sound crew to help me with a clip. Are we going to be able to do it? Ushers, if you'll, if you'll help me with the lights and help me get ready for this. The title is very lengthy today, but the message is not. Five things God wants to do in your life today. Five things that God wants to do in your life today. And we are going to focus in the area or in the thought or in the seat of the word unforgiveness. What unforgiveness can do, continue to do, and what forgiving can do and will continue to do. Those of you listening by podcast, we are getting ready to share a clip from the famous Beverly Hillbillies, I love them because they're not too embarrassed to stop and pick up roadkill and make sure there's plenty to eat on their way from the mountains, I guess, of Tennessee to Beverly Hills where they struck it rich. All of us have fallen in love with uh, that, that show, one of the first black and white shows probably many of you can remember. And who could ever forget Granny? Who could ever forget Granny? So if you will entertain uh, me today just for a moment to enjoy this clip from Granny of Beverly Hillbillies. Thank <laughs> you. 
Hey, hey, hey. They say a picture paints a thousand words. What an in incredible illustration of someone who really, really wanted to be involved in forgiveness. Unforgiveness is a place. It's a place that we can go to any time of day, any portion of our life, wherever, whatever age we are. It is actually a place that we can camp out and stay some of us get stuck in that place. Some of us live in that place. Some of us, some of us only get our motivation and direction from the area of walking in unforgiveness. Very quickly, the five things that I believe that God wants to do in your life today, I believe that God wants to help you deal with unforgiveness in your heart. I believe that the next 45 minutes, I believe that he's going to start a, a seed, a seed of healing, a seed of restoration. I believe the word We'll water the seed, we'll feed the seed, we'll mature the seed, so today you can leave feeling a lot better than you did when you came in. Let someone say amen. Second thing I believe God wants to teach us today is to protect us, to teach us to protect our heart from bitterness, to teach us to protect our heart from bitterness. You've heard me share the story of the scorpion and the turtle. The scorpion asked the turtle to swim him across the river. He needed to get to the other side. The turtle said, no, I'm not going to put you on my back because if, you put, if I put you on my back, you will sting me and I will die in the river. And the scorpion said, why? Why would, I, why would I sting you? Because if you drown, I drown also. After much lengthy conversation, the scorpion convinced the turtle to allow him to get on his back. And the turtle began to swim the scorpion across the river. And about halfway across the river, the scorpion bit the turtle, stung the turtle. As, as they were sinking to their demise, sinking to their death, the turtle looked at the scorpion and said, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you sting me not, knowing not only would it take my life, but your life also? And the scorpion gave the infamous answer, I don't know, it's just what I do. I don't know, it's just what I do. I believe every one of us have in our life someone who, like the scorpion, only wants to lash out only wants to hurt, only wants to accuse, only wants to be negative. And the Lord sh sh shares us in his word that there are ways to deal, to protect your heart from allowing people to bring bitterness or any, any seeds of bitterness. For 23 years, I have come to church the very same way for 23 years. I rarely depart from the, from the, the way that I come. And for 23 years, I have watched uh, Cleveland State Community College at the stop sign where the sign is located on both sides of the stop sign, they always had a perennial garden. And there's been times when I've actually been tempted to roll down the window and pull up one of the perennials and take it home and plant it. Because if you know, if you pull a perennial up and plant it, it'll, it'll grow pretty much wherever you plant it. But I never did that. I, I wanted to do that. A few months ago, I saw the perennial garden had literally got completely out of order. I saw the verbena. I saw the, 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 different, the different lilies that would do well in my garden. And I don't remember who was with me. It may have been Robert, but we actually tried to find the landscaping crew 
of Cleveland State College to see if I could dig those plants up because I knew they'd, they were grown wild. They weren't taking care of them. It was in bad disarray. How many of you have noticed that? But I noticed this, this past week is that there was some construction going on in the, in the perennial garden area. And I said, hey, they're going to put a new sign. They're going to put a fountain. They're going to do something cool. They're going to do this or that. And much to my chagrin, I noticed yesterday that the two areas that used to have a garden for the past 23 years is now solid concrete. They just built a, a concrete slab. And I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, have a tendency to, to try to bury wounds, to bury hurts, and to ply things over and over till we appear to be resilient and tough and nothing can hurt us or harm us. But in our hearts and hearts, we are broken. And I believe God wants to help you with that bitterness that you've been dealing with or you've been entertaining. The third thing I believe that God would like for us to do today is to make up our mind to end the blame game, to end the blame game. 33 years of ministry, there are many times in life when I will sit in council and I will listen, and I'll find different ones blaming different people for their negativity, for their hurt, for their pain, for their mistakes, for the decisions that they have made, even some all the way back to their first accomplishment, which was the specimen we provided for our parents in the toilet. Our first accomplishment, most of our first accomplishments got flushed. And a lot of us have a, a, almost a, a negative toward everything our parents tried to do. It went bad. It went sour. And I believe today God wants to help us with that. The fourth thing that I think that God would like to do in this service today is for you to leave knowing that you are totally forgiven by God. You're totally forgiven by God. God does not keep lists. He does not get even. He does strike back when he forgives. He forgives the promises of God are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad for that? And I believe that the, the, the last thing that God would like for us to leave this place with today is the ability to pray for those who have hurt us, the ability to pray for those who have hurt us. When I look at the life of Job, and I see certainly must have been offended, must have been hurt, must have been wounded, four dear friends coming and telling him all the negatives in his life and all the things he was doing wrong, how God was angry with him, how his doctrine was out of order. He was full of pride. He was full of this. And the Bible says that Job was an awesome man of God. He loved the Lord. Kids worshiped God. He worshiped God. So Job was none of the things that his, his friends portrayed. And certainly Job had every right to be offended. I'm right now ministering to a, a little niece that uh, I went several months ago. Courtney, Christine, and I went. I performed her wedding, uh, beautiful, beautiful wedding, beautiful little baby boy, and just found and, and learned that, that, that she was going to have a baby. And, and the first baby's probably a year old, and she was kind of overwhelmed by, oh, no, I, I'm pregnant again. Oh, no, what am I going to do? I didn't really want this baby. I didn't really. And through a process of, of, of God's grace and mercy, God took the baby. Now is dealing with the pain and the, the negative of, I spoke those things. I said I didn't want this. I, didn't. I don't think that's the way that God operates, and I don't think that's the way that God wants us to discern him or understand him. But I believe that we have the ability today to walk from this place healed and whole by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Luke 17 and 1, and there's only one way to say this. I don't think that I can be emphatic enough to say it aggressively enough as I need to be. There is, beyond any reasonable shadow of a doubt, the promise and the proof today that there will be things in your life that will offend you. 
It does not matter how forgiving you are, how healing you are, how lovey-dovey, huggy. It doesn't matter how wonderful you are. You are going to find yourself in a place in life that you're going to be offended. And we know that in the kingdom of darkness, there is an element that seems to want to try to go out of his or her way to offend. And that's, that's hard to grasp. That's hard to comprehend. It's hard to believe that we would try to do the very best we can, walk the Lord the best way that we can, and there would be people in our life that would purposely try to hurt or criticize or disqualify. That's, that's, that's hard for us to grasp. But notice, if you will, the words of Jesus in Luke 17 and 1. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown to the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day, return to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. When you begin to dissect this, you begin to tear this apart. Here's what Jesus lets us know. There are going to be people in our life that are pretty much worthless, and all they get joy, seem to get joy, is in making us look bad. And it seems like they purposely go out of their way to make us feel stupid and feel little and feel inconsiderate. But Jesus says, if they come to you and ask you to forgive them, you are to forgive them. And as a matter of fact, you are to forgive them if they, if they offend you seven times in one day. And they come seven times and say, will you forgive me? You're supposed to forgive them. Now, how many in this room, does that, does that make any sense at all? Does that make, does it make sense? So it makes sense? Yes. Even though they go out of their way to hurt you and they go out of their well, you're, you need to come preach this sermon then because you guys are at places that I have not yet arrived at. But it, but it, it is, when, when the Lord tells us something and we realize and understand the direction, the counsel that he's giving, there's something that happens when we step into the process of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is a place that we can live in. Forgiveness is a place that we can learn, that we can grow, and we can be a light in a dark place and be a blessing to somebody else. Look at somebody and say, God blesses me so that I might bless others. Notice, if you will, in Proverbs 18 and 19, let's see how the guys are doing on our scriptures. I think, uh, Angel, are you on it? Proverbs, watch this. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. In, in paraphrase, what the Lord through David is saying, it's easier to capture a city than it is to win a brother that's been offended. Now, we've been watching Iraq. We've been watching the hundreds of millions of dollars that we have spent, the thousands of troops, the lives, 4,000 lives that have been lost, trying just to make Baghdad a safe place. And I'm here to tell you, 10 years later, we have not. Baghdad is one of the most dangerous places in the world to live. The Green Zone is a place where almost every day someone steps on a bomb, someone is assassinated, someone is ambushed. Baghdad has not yet been conquered with all the effort 
and all the things that we have done to try to make Baghdad a safe place. It is not. Here's what the Lord says. It's easier to capture a city than it is to restore a brother that's been offended. David tells us in Psalms 55, 12 through 14, he will, he will give us some instruction. And ironically, when David begins to share, he begins to share things that he's living and things that he's going through. And notice what he says. He says, it was not an enemy. We may as well read it together. Oh, I can't see. Oh, I'm healed. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. Next verse. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. Watch this. The guy that pumps gas in my car does not have the ability to hurt me or wound me or offend me. The guy that serves me a donut and coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, Daylight Donuts, does not have the ability to hurt me or wound me or offend me. The person that waits on me at the Walmart counter, regardless of how rude or disrespectful they are, they do not have the ability to hurt me or wound me or offend me. I have the choice, if I go somewhere where I feel like I'm being wounded or I'm being offended, I just won't go there anymore. Can anybody relate? I'm not going to go where I'm going to be dissed. I'm not going to go where I'm going to be disrespected. I'm not going to go where I'm going to be considered a lesser on the planet than they are. I, don't, I, don't, I have that choice. I can, I can build a hedge around me, and I can defend myself. But here's what David said. It wasn't an enemy. It wasn't just someone off the street that just chose to go out of the way to hurt me, but it was you. And he brings three things to our attention that it, that it might be. As a matter of fact, he says, not only was it you, but it was you. We went to church together. We worshiped the Lord together. We, we served the Lord together. And I'm not going to ask anybody to lift their hands, but there are times in our life when we allow people to get closer to us than maybe that we should let them get. And there are times in our life we tell people more than we really should tell them. I've learned a long time ago that if I'm going to get healed, it's going to be from someone that knows more than me, to someone that has more than me, someone that has more knowledge and wisdom than me. I have learned that it's not God's will for me to bleed on you or me to vent on you or for me to come to where you're at and tell you how, how bad things are. That's not going to bless you. That's going to bless anybody for someone in your life. We have, a, we have a friend that, be careful I say this because this is going out to the nation. We have a friend that we grow, grew up with, a very special family, a family friend of the Davises for years and years. And uh, this precious uh, friend got married. In the process of getting married, there was a, some challenges with the old, older brother in the relationship. And come to find out through several years of, of marriage that there was, a, there was a real major hurt and there was a real major pain. And the young man that was hurt and wounded in this scenario wrote a book. And the book, the book told all about the hurt, all about the pain, and they sent the book to me to proofread it to recommend for me to, to recommend a producer and, and an author, and we have done that before, and God has used us in that. But as I read the book, I realized all the book was doing was bleeding. All the book was doing was telling the horror of the story, the pain of the story. I didn't see really any restoration or any healing, and so I encouraged them not to write the book. I encouraged them not, not to publish the book. I said, don't, don't. Don't bleed in front of the whole world. What has happened, God is restoring from you and your family. Let God do that. And if later God opens the door for you to walk in this area, it would be great. 
And as far as I know, they followed that counsel. The book was not published. The book was not written. But it's so easy sometimes to let somebody close to us hurt us and wound us, and they don't even know that they're hurting us or wounding us. Can anybody relate? And the Word talks about forgiveness, and the Word talks about a place that we, can, that we can live in. I like the word give in the word forgiveness because forgiveness requires us to do something, requires for us to be a, a part of something. Can anybody relate? It, we, we are given the decision to forgive or not to forgive. I read a book this past couple of days. Actually, I went to the Bible bookstore and told the girl what I was looking for, and she brought me five or six books. I just stayed in there a couple hours and read some of the books. Didn't have to buy them. How cool was that? And having a photographic memory, that was a blessing because I remembered the story. But there's a story told, and you all know the story of Corey Ten Boone. You all know the story that their family, her, her dad was a watch repairman, a watchmaker. They hid families in, in, a, in a hidden room in their house for years and years and years, and they helped, they helped the Jews escape the torture of the Nazi concentration camps. And for years, their home was a place that in the middle of the night, people would come, and they would hide them, and they would feed them, they would clothe them, they would try to get them to safety. In the middle of all of that, they were exposed. They were exposed by her dad being a watchmaker, had, had uh, mentored a, a Timothy in his house, and this Timothy betrayed him and turned them into the Gestapo and Corey, her sister, and her dad were all arrested, and they were taken to, I was going to, um, what was the name of that? It wasn't Auschwitz. It was, uh, what was it? No, I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to forget that, but the, the concentration camp they were taken to was one of the most horrific. It was one of the most murderous. It was the one that hundreds of thousands of, of Jews were murdered. They were assassinated, and in all of that, Corey lost connection with her dad, never to see him again, and he, he, he died in the concentration camp. And she lost contract with her older sister, Beverly, never saw her again, and she did not survive the concentration camp. As Corey survived the concentration camp and began to spend her life traveling the world, sharing her testimony of healing and the importance of forgiveness and restoration, there was a particular service where Corey was speaking, and at the end of the service, there were several in the altar area, and there was one man in particular that he, he did not leave the altar. He stayed in the area, waited till everybody had greeted Corey and, and had shook her hand and, and what, whatever, and he walked up to her, and as he walked up to her, she recognized him. He was one of the guards that forced her to strip down naked and, and walk several yards, humiliation, degrading, one of the most embarrassing times of her life. She remembered him giving orders for those to go to the showers, either showers of gas or showers of hot, scalding water. She knew who he was. And as he walked up to her, he told her, he said, what you spoke of tonight, I understand. I can relate. I was there. I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me. I don't know, I don't know if any of you could possibly put yourself in a place where you're looking at the man who is responsible for your father's death, you're looking at the man that was responsible for your sister's death. You're looking at the man that caused great humiliation, much shame, much pain. And she had to walk through a process, even though she was traveling the nation, the countries of the world, telling people that she had to, they had to forgive. Now, here she's faced with the, with the responsibility. Do I forgive him or, or do, I, do I ignore him? Do I blow him off? What do I do? Well, in the course of the story, she asked God for help, and God helped her. And as she went to shake his hand, the moment she touched him, there was something magnetic, something incredible, phenomenal 
the overwhelming love that she had for her dad and her sister that she had lost, all of a sudden that love was replaced and she found herself actually loving this man that had created such hurt, such pain to her. And there I believe that we see forgiveness in its purest. Would someone give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation? There are six things that forgiveness will do. And if you'll go with me to Matthew 5 and 23, if you're writing these scriptures down, I believe that they will bless you. There's, there's, quite, a, there's quite a few of them, but we're going to look. One of the first things that unforgiveness will do in your life is disqualify you. How many knows what it means to be disqualified? Uh, I, I don't remember what football team it was, but yesterday they were disqualified the first half of the game because their quarterback was benched because of some autographs that he had received being the whatever the Heisman Trophy winner anywhere kind of in ignorance he really didn't know what he was doing but he signed some autographs that were I guess they were sold later and uh, he, he was not allowed to do that so for the first half of the game this team did not have their number one quarterback now I believe I watched the game I believe they came back and won the game and how about that Atlanta, that Alabama roll tide how about that you guys were you impressed with that how, you see, see the Bulldogs choke? Wasn't that funny how the Bulldog just, I hated that, and I hate that Angel had to watch his team be so, got beat up so, so easy. It wasn't even really a competition, was it? But anyway, that team was disqualified. Angel's coming to make a declaration. Angel's leaving the building. He's hurt. He's wounded. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive him later for walking out of my sermon, and we'll be okay. Everything, watch this. Therefore, as we today brought a sacrifice to praise, and as we brought our tithe and offering to God, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, next verse, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to the brother, and then come and offer thy gift. This is almost one of those, this is almost one of those scriptures where it doesn't sound fair to us. Here we are, we come to the house of God, we've got something to leave the Lord, whether it's an hour of praise and worship, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, whether it's an offering, whether it's our tithe. And the Bible says that as we bring, and you notice for 23 years, we have not one time ever passed the plate in this church, ever one time. That we feel like the Lord says, you are to bring it. Something happens when you bring it. There's a, there's a moment of worship there. There's a, there's a moment of promises confirmed there. But here's what the Word of God says, that when we bring our gift to the altar, whether we're singing or clapping or worshiping or dancing or, or, or giving, if something in our spirit reminds us that there's someone in our life that either has ought against us or we have ought against, we are to expect no, no reciprocation from what we brought from our gift. We're to leave our gift there and then go out and seek their brother, seek their sister, and seek restoration. Now listen, this is not time in your life to get your purse, your sunglasses, your Bible, and your note, and to rush out to the lobby, run out to the parking lot, get in your car, and drive to the person that you know has offended you or you have offended them. This is not the time to do that. There may be a time later in the day that you may just happen to be praying and say, Lord, I know pastor wasn't preaching at me this morning because, Lord, I just love everybody. It's a wonderful life. It's a it's a small world after all. It's a world of God. I'm just happy, happy, happy like the Duck Dynasty guy. I'm just happy, 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 and I've got my own cup, my own, my own book. But all of a sudden, God will remind you of something. There it is. I made Matthew mad. He's leaving already. That's two I've, that's two I've offended already in the, in the service. But, but, but God will, will gently remind you, and it'll be just like a little buffer. 
it'll be a little bump. Then all of a sudden, it, it will realize, well, you know what? I haven't, I haven't heard from so-and-so, or so-and-so acted kind of funny last time I talked, or, you know, I know she probably appreciate the fact that I stole her boyfriend and got, you know, I'm, I'm hello. There are things that, that we know that we do, but it's okay because we judge others according to their actions. We judge ourselves according to our intentions. We never meant to hurt. We never meant to wound. We never meant to offend, but we did, and we know that person is there. And if you sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper, some of you might need to get a legal pad because you might realize there's a lot more people in life that you've offended or have offended you than you're willing to honor. And the challenge is you're going to bed with it at night. You're getting up with it in the morning. Something reminds you of that hurt, that pain. And what is so wild, the person that has hurt you and the person has wounded you, they don't have a flying clue what, what they've done. They, 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 don't, they have no, they have no, they have, they have, no animosity towards you. It's just something they did. It's like the scorpion. It's just something they do. They say things they shouldn't say. They do things they shouldn't do. And it's just something that they go through. So, so be careful when you ask God, hello, well, God, is there anybody I really need to go to? Is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Anybody? Lord, and, and when you start writing, you might want to have two ink pens because you might write more than you want to write. It may take you a couple of days to get your house in order. It may take a couple of days to forgive everybody that's wounded you that has hurt you. I've spent quite a bit of time, and I'll be careful what I say, I've spent quite a bit of time in the past few years with a, with a, uh, a precious child of God, loves the Lord with all of his heart, but never had a mom or dad in his life. Never had any, any parents whatsoever. Matter of fact, to his mom, all he was was a paycheck. The first of every month, dad would send mom the money, the child support, and that's all that he ever was. He was a pawn that the parents used to get even with each other. He never had, a, never had a mom in his life that taught him how to iron, how to fold clothes, how to wash, how to clean house. He never had a dad to, to walk him through how to be a man, how to walk integrity, how to walk in virginity. He never had that. He never had that his entire, and, and to, to this day, to this day right now, he's 36. His parents have no clue where he is. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what he's doing. And in spending time with him, you begin to realize there are things that you have to grasp from your mom or your dad, or it will leave you marked, it'll leave you wounded, it will leave you afflicted. And here's what God's Word, God's word has to say. One thing about your mom and dad, for whatever, whatever hurt and harm they put you through, they didn't abort you. They gave you life. At least we honor that, at least we bless that, and then we work from there. We work from the areas of, if there's someone in our heart that we feel wounded, and again, you're, you're, the parents that have wounded their kids probably have no clue whatsoever they've done it. It's just, it's just the rat race. It's just like the hamster. How many seen, how many seen the hamster? The ha hamster always puts more in his mouth than he can digest, greedy, and then he gets on the wheel like he's trying to lose weight. Hello? And he goes around and around and around. And uh, we had hamsters when we were kids growing up, and somehow uh, the two hamsters got loose in the house, and we had to move from the house because we had hundreds of hamsters in the walls. You could hear them at night running the walls, running the ceilings, and, and then you stick the cabinet and see where they had been. We never saw them, but you could see where they had been. That, that, there are a lot of people that live their life like that. They're, they're, they're so sour of the things of the world. They're so sour of the things of life. They seem to store up bad stuff, and they keep it in their, in their system, and then they get on a wheel, and they drive you completely nuts. Can you relate? Stop running on the wheel. Stop, settle down. Accomplish something with your life instead of going around and around 
The last time I was with you, you told me how bad you got beat up. The time before, you told me how bad. My God, you could, you could be a drama. You could be a reality show. You could be a TNT knows drama. You know drama way better than TNT, but you've got to learn all it does is get old. Look at somebody and say, all it does is get old. Say it again. All it does is get old. And again, if you go to Matthew 6 and 14 with me. The negatives of carrying a grudge are found in this passage of Scripture. Watch this. The negatives of carrying a grudge. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a pastor. It could be a son or daughter, a mom or dad. Obviously, the older brother had a problem with the younger brother, story of the prodigal son. But when you decide and determine that you refuse to forgive and you refuse to let it go and you refuse to turn it loose, look what it says. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Next verse. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are not the words of E.F. Hutton. Those are not the words of Mr. Obama. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is established. Oh, Matthew came back, so he, didn't, he wouldn't have offended that long. The words of Jesus are to declare to us, we come together as a church body to practice on one another. We go to the world <coughs> to perfect. God brings you in my life. God takes a chance that I'm not going to hurt you or wound you or offend you, but we are going to grow together. And we're going to walk through what the Word of God says, how to have the right relationship, how to have the right, the, the, the right things in our life that we're to have. And God said, as you are walking this, as you're walking this trail, as you're walking this path, the enemy is going to try to overwhelm you with hurts and pains. And that there are, there are certain ways to address your hurts and pains. And if, and if someone has hurt you and someone has wounded you and you carry a grudge and you use the words like, never, I'll never forgive them. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget what they've done to me. That I, will, I will make them pay. I, I promise you they, they, will, they will pay for every hurt, every pain they brought me. Here's what Jesus says. If you can't take a step in the area, and we'll talk about forgiving people that really don't deserve to be forgiven, but if you can't take the, the step out to forgive that person of that negative, that hurt, pain against you, you have tied the hands of Calvary. You've tied the hands of Almighty God. You've tied the hands of Jesus Christ. He says, if you do this, then I will do that. If you forgive them, then I will forgive you. But if you don't forgive them, then I can't forgive you. How scary is that? When every, every day we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. 
If you'll go with me very quickly to Matthew 18 and 21. And this is where I want to kind of share a truth that Pastor Ron and I have learned for years and years and years. We have a lifelong friend. His name is Keith Dudley. Keith traveled with us 30, 28, 20, 28, 27, 28 years ago. Keith was an incredible praise and worship leader, youth pastor at an incredible church in North Carolina, Kannapolis, North Carolina. At one time, it was the largest Church of God sanctuary in the entire uh, Church of God uh, deity. Incredible church, incredible pastor, great revival. We connected with Keith. Keith went on the road with us, married, left his responsibilities, resigned, and just took off. And we had a lot, a lot of fun with Keith. Keith did not really have a, a dad in his life, and his mom had walked in some, and he, he shared his testimony, so you know the story, but his mom walked in some gender challenges, and so Keith really never had a guy, just a guy, a guy to throw a frisbee or a guy to hit a golf ball or a guy. So for the next two years of his life, I decided to teach Keith all the things that kids needed to know. I taught him how to throw a driver, a golf driver, up in the, up in the tree. I taught him how to do that. I taught him how to throw him out of a golf cart. I threw him out of a golf cart. And I remember we were, we were preaching in, in Oklahoma there, one of, the, one of the churches, and I have a little, little cousin, 15, 16 years old, that took us to a place to go fishing. And we were, we were in Keith's van, had California tags. We're in his van. We parked on the, the side of a dirt, dirt road. And then we walked back to this lake, probably, probably Mark, probably about a mile and a half, two miles. But what was so, what was so crazy about that particular walk to that lake? I had a, I had a 357 on my hip. I had to shoot three snakes before we got to the fishing hole. Keith hates, he hates snakes. He can't swim. He hates snakes. Well, anyway, we managed to get to the fishing hole. We caught some fish. When we come back to the van, there are three sheriffs of that particular county formed around our van. And they had their guns out across the hood of the car, and they were pointed at us. Well, someone had just robbed a motel with California tags in the same kind of van that Keith was driving. And the police thought it was us. And it did not help that I had a 357 loaded on my hip. That did not help. You can imagine that did not go well when they thought that we were, that we were bank robbers. And so I had my little nephew with me. And I, I, I forgot his first name, but I said, I said, tell the officer who you are and whose property we're fishing. Well, he forgot his name. He forgot whose property we're fishing. He, he completely went into shock. And then, and of course, my great uncle, uh, his name was a very respected name there, and everybody knew him. Mean, mean, mean. At the end of his life, gave his heart to God. A wonderful testimony of restoration. But when I used that name, then, then we were free to go. So... That came and that went, Hannah, and then the very next revival was revival in Maybank, Texas. And I told Keith, I said, listen, I found a sufficient hole, and I promise you we don't have to walk. There's a boat there. We're going to get in the boat. We'll go out. He said, you know I can't swim. I said, don't worry. We're not going to turn the boat over. We're going to go get in the boat. We're going to fish. So I talked Keith into getting in the boat. We get in the boat, get out in the middle of the lake. Unbeknown to us at the time, that last night when the boat was turned over on the grass, a water moccasin had crawled up into the, the bow of the boat, and we didn't know it. We turned the boat over, got our paddles, got our rods and reels, and we, we pushed the boat off into the water. We get from about here to that wall. 
out in the middle of this lake, probably twice the size of this, of this building, and all of a sudden we realize there is a snake in the boat. Now, let me tell you something. Whether you know how to swim or not, there's something divine happens when you find yourself close encounter of a third kind with a water moccasin and a water moccasin that you stirred them up and you interrupted their rest and they are not in a good mood. Keith and I both went into the water. We abandoned all of our fishing gear, all of our tackles, all of our, and we finally got the boat back. We killed the snake, long story short. But I remember that particular night right before Keith sang, he shared a little testimony and he made an incredible point. This is the point I want to, I want to leave with you. If you get me once, it's your bad. If you get me twice, it's my bad. Learning how to walk in forgiveness does not mean that you leave people in your life that constantly have the ability to try to hurt and harm. You have the right to choose your friends. You, we love our enemies. We have the right to choose our friends. And if we know that there are people in our life that no matter what we do, no matter what we say, this is direction they're going to go in, then those are people we choose not to spend quality time with and we'll live our life enjoying all the wonderful things that God has brought into our life. After you forgive, notice if you will, in Ephesians 4 and 32. Are we there, guys? Okay, so I've forgiven you, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven her, I've forgiven whoever. What do I need to do now? Watch this. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sakes, hath forgiven you. Well, you said that we didn't have to hang around people that, that, that wound us and hurt us. We don't. But there is a lifestyle that God expects us to live. And let me get a little deeper into the notes today. The next scripture I want to share, if I may, is found in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 and 44. Do we have it? Watch this. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Do we have another verse here? This is what it says. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sinneth brain on the just and on the unjust. Tough word. Tough word. It's easy sometimes when you've been offended and you release offense and the person or persons you release offense comes back and tries to burn you in another area of your life, it's easy to get defensive and start telling others what they did to you. In other words, like, really? You really want to go there? After all the money I've loaned you, after all the times I've seen you in jail, after all the times I put gas in your car, after all the hours of counsel, I counsel you and your helpless kids. Really? You really want to, you know, the cliche that he who lives in glass houses should not throw rocks. And I don't, I don't, think, I don't think the majority of the nation listen that I believe they'll throw rocks at whoever they want to, regardless of what is said. And there are people, aren't you glad there are people in your life that will die 
with your mistakes and your faults and your hurts and your pain, and they will never broadcast them, but they will love you as Christ have loved the church. Look at somebody and say, I want to be that kind of friend. Proverbs 17 and 19. These are my notes. After you forgive, leave it alone. Look at someone and say, leave it alone. He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalted his gate seeketh destruction. Look at it again. He loveth transgression that loveth strife. He exalted his gate seeketh destruction. Is there another verse there? He that hath a froward hurt findeth no good, and he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. And pretty much, if you go to Hebrews 12 and 15, and I will begin to conclude this thought today. If it looks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it cackles like a duck, chances are it's a duck. And you would think that we would be smart enough by now to realize if this, is, if this is his nature, and this is the mindset, and this is the way they walk, that's probably not going to change unless they get run over by a truck, and the angel Lord comes and heals them right there on the spot. Can, can anybody relate? The, the odds are you're, you're 40. Congratulations, 40. Fabulous in 40. Uh, uh, reflective in 50, 60, 60 and sexy, 70 and senile. That's, that's the progression. You, 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 usually, if, if there are people in your life, no matter how you try to bless them, how do you try to pray for them, how you try to, if they're going to come right back and bite you in the butt, then you need to find someone else to spend quality time to practice on, to love on, to be a part of. Shut that door, shut that door. And here's a point I want to make. I have a garden. Many of you have, many of you have been to my garden. And my, my garden grows everything and anything. It does not have to be planted. The wind can blow it, and, and it'll, 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 it'll show up, and there, there it is. Well, there's, there's a thing you guys will see a week from Sunday if I don't take care of it. But there is something that's invaded my garden that I've learned. You can't just hack, you just can't hack it off at the, at the ground. There are some things that you have to go and pull the root. What's our, what's our scripture, Hebrews? Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. Be very, very careful what I say here. Several years ago, there was a young man that I spent quite a bit of time with. He and his family counseling and encouraging and, and uh, just trying to, to, to build up and to help. Struggling with pornography. Struggling with, it was a major, it was, a, it was just a major thorn in the flesh. And it, it messed him up and it just messed up his marriage and was really struggling with it. So after we prayed and asked God for forgiveness, and asked, after we surrounded ourselves with what the Scripture had to say, then I just began to ask him, you know, where, where this particular, uh, where, where did this challenge come up? And he said every day after work, he would stop to get a soft drink, and there at the store, get a soft drink, there was a, there was a, a magazine rack, and he would be led to that magazine rack, and there he would find himself purchasing pornography, going home and getting frustrated, throwing it away, then going back a couple days later and buying 
And uh, the advice and counsel I gave him, quit going to that store. Quit going to that store. Don't go to that store anymore. If, if there's somebody at a store trying to hit on you, and every time you go in there, they try to hit on you and destroy your marriage, destroy your family, quit going to that store. Go, go somewhere else. Find, am I helping anybody in the building? Don't, don't just, you can't just whack it off at the, at the ground, pull it up by the roots. I cannot come back. In. Am I talking to anybody in, in, in the building day? And you know what? It's not God's will for you to cover your garden with concrete and, and cement it over. There is restoration. There is healing. And I want to go ahead and give you just a uh, F-O-R-G-I-B-E. Are you taking notes today? Okay, let me do something for you. Let me do an acronym real quick. F, 1 Corinthians 13 and 15. Forbid the thought or the hurt to take control of your life. Pastor Ronnie shared so well Wednesday night that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They're not carnal, but the pulling down of strongholds. Here's what happens. The enemy will try to throw a thought at you. And whatever, whatever the thought is, however negative, however painful it is, the enemy will try to throw that thought. You have the ability to wine and dine that thought. You have the ability to entertain that thought. You have the ability to feed that thought. Or you have the ability to arrest that thought and say, I will not allow this thought to destroy what God has for me. Notice what the Scripture says. And I give it to you yet. What was I thinking? Yes, 1 Corinthians 13 and 15. Pardon me? It doesn't exist? Okay, let's go to Ecclesiastes 3 and 7. There's a time to talk and a time to keep silence. Hello? Let's go to Psalms 141.3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Can anybody relate to that today? A couple, a couple of thoughts as we are, are concluding this this morning that I just wanted to bring to your attention. Job, who did everything right, hit a storm in his life. And in that storm, instead of people coming to his life to build an, into his life and to speak in his life, had a tendency to tear down and destroy. But at the end of the matter, Job prayed for them, and they were blessed, and their lives were touched. God knows you more than you know yourself. God knows what you're able to, to take on more than you know how to take on yourself. And there are times when God will use you as a sounding board to bring restoration and healing to others that if they don't get it from you, they probably won't get it. Does that help anybody? In this? She said, why, why am I going through this? Why do I seem to consistently go through this? Why do people come around me that seem to want to hurt and wound? Because maybe God is trying to show a side of Christ to them that they won't see anywhere else but from you. Look at, look at somebody and say, I'm not sure that I want to be that particular person. Obviously, there was unforgiveness in the heart of the brothers of Joseph. He was the baby. The dad spoiled him. He shouldn't have, but he did. The brothers had an attitude towards Joseph, and you know they sold him into slavery, tried to murder him, could have murdered him, didn't he? Sold him into slavery. And then 13 years later, he stands in front of them and says, because of what you did, to intend evil, God turned to work good in your life that you would live in the land of the prosperous. So know that, again, as a Joseph that's been wrongly treated, wrong by a brother, a sister, by a family member, maybe God is using you 
to be a light in a dark place to somebody that will never, ever see it the right way. In ministry, Mark, I know a lot of times it's easy sometimes to, you know, you, you minister to people, you help people. It seems like the more you help them, the farther they seem to want. And being a manager, you can certainly relate to employees you've tried to help. Jonah got an un, a spirit of unforgiveness in his heart because he didn't want God to restore a city that had completely fallen to sin. But let me tell you something today. It's not about you. It's not your plan. It's not your purpose. It's all about God's plan, all about God's purpose for you in your life. Just for a moment, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, you guys want to help me with some music? You can. We thank you for the power of your word today. We thank you for the ability to forgive. It's not impossible. It's tough. But in that forgiveness, we release some things that you have for us that the enemy has tried to steal. And so this morning, we apply the word of God to our heart, to our spirit. We are good ground. We're healthy soil. We are a garden of your planting. We do not choose the people that we intercede for. We do not choose the people that we minister to. You bring them into our life. And we treat them with love and respect as your son on Calvary. Demonstrated forgiveness in the greatest form. And said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You've encouraged us not just to forgive the hurts and the pains. But your mind is in 1 Corinthians 12 that love does not keep a list. That we are not to constantly remind those that hurt us and wounded us what they have done. But we need a release from it. And as Corey Ten Boone decided to forgive the one person that she could identify with in the masses of concentration camps and all the horror and pain that wasn't really anybody that she could focus her frustration on. But the day came when the one person that was there, the one person that was responsible, that she could have spoke evil against, that she could have cursed, and people would have understood why. She chose to forgive. And when she forgave, it opened a door of love reconnected her to the generational love of her father and the familiar love of her sister. That area was healed in her life. And she learned through forgiveness. It opens the door for you to operate in your glory and your majesty. All of us have been wounded. All of us have been offended. All of us have been betrayed. Some of us have been abandoned in childbirth. Some of us have had our children taken from us. Some of us have trusted those that were so hasty to throw us to the curb and to throw us away and pursue something else. But none of that compares to the sin that we committed against you. And you came to where we were and you forgave us of that sin. So as we are forgiven today of a far greater sin than all the ones mentioned, Today, we take a, a chance. Today, we step out on a limb. Today, we go through a door 
Today we give you permission to bring into our life a list or lists of, of those that we have unforgiveness because they are holding back the blessing and holding back the ministry and holding back the healing that you have for us. Your son has taught us to forgive. We are not your son. We're striving to be. We're living by his example. So we pray that unforgiveness would be a place that we would leave. We would choose not to dwell there anymore and that we would become an instrument of forgiveness, an instrument of reconciliation, an instrument of blessing, an instrument of hope. Many of us from many different walks of life today come from many different chapters, many different venues. But today, Lord, I believe that every one of us in our heart of hearts, if we're not careful, will keep a secret list. Today, we pray for those that despitefully use us. We love those that hate us. We bless those that curse us, not because we're all that great and all that wonderful, but your word declares that's what you would have us do. And you have promised us that if we would honor you and your faithfulness, that you would honor us with your faithfulness. Wipe the slate clean. Heal the hurt. Heal the pain. Allow us to forgive those that we can. If, if someone's hurt us, has already died and gone on, then we see them in a chair and we address their hurts and pains against us. We confront them, we rebuke them, and then we forgive them. So today that we leave this place healthy and whole, restored by the blood of Jesus. We love the Lord today. Would you give him a hand clap of appreciation for his goodness and his mercy?